there's a common saying in uh, Minneapolis that says, hey, at least the sun is out. It does make a lot of difference. I mean, it, the sun being out does make a lot of difference. I mean, because it can be it can be 50, 60 degrees outside. And if it's overcast and a little breezy, like it's it's awful. But if it's 42 degrees outside, but the sun's out, it's actually pretty pleasant. It's not bad. Do you know what the current temperature is here in balmy Minneapolis? What's that? Four degrees. Four? What? Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. Welcome to episode 103, 103 on the dial. I'm Reed <laughs> Smith, that's Chris Boyer over there. Coming to you live from 103 FM. Z103. <laughs> well, we are going to get into a little bit of a different topic tonight. We, we have talked about content, I guess, as you know, topically speaking, a number of different times on the show. I don't know that we've ever gone quite down this path. Where we're going to talk about kind of planning and strategy and some of those types of things. So it should make for kind of an interesting chat. But before we do, yeah. do you want to plug the website, touchpoint.health? You can find out all things Touchpoint over there, including show notes, other shows on the network. You can learn a little bit more about our sponsors. And so uh, we wanted to do a quick shout out and plug for one of our sponsors. What do visitors to your hospital's website really want? Well, that's the million dollar question. And literally, if you're working on a hospital website, it's a million dollar question. Literally the million dollar question. But until recently, we haven't had a great way to answer it. That is until now. That's right. Loyal's Conversational Platform Guide always allows you to not only engage with your site visitors, but also to understand better than just standard analytics may allow uh, what your patients are searching for. So with Guide's robust analytics dashboard and built-in feedback feature, you can finally see why customers are visiting your site and know if you're able to help them. That's right. And if you want to learn more, all you have to do is schedule a demo with them at loyalhealth.com slash demo and make sure to tell them that Touchpoint Podcast sent you. There is an opportunity to see them live and in person if you're going to be at Hims here in just a short few days now at this point, I guess. Be sure to stop by their booth. It's booth number 4573. Say hello. Check out their new products and features. Uh, so whether you do that online or in person at Hims, and like Chris mentioned, be sure to tell them that we sent you. All right. Content planning, content strategy. Content strategy, Reed. That's awesome because I just finished developing the content strategy for our hospital just last week. Put together all the months of the year, kind of figured out where all the awareness dates are. There we go. So I am done with content strategy, right? Yeah. Bingo. All finished. This is an interesting one, right? Because as you roll into any new year, there's a lot of articles out there on uh, top ways to do X, Y, or Z in fill in the year, right? <laughs> so in 2019, well, we, we did find an article that, that uh, again, we'll link to in the show notes that's put out by Sprout, Sprout Social. And this one 
specifically because of what they do is around publishing. And so it's titled how to efficiently set up your content planning for 2019. So, and and we're not going to go too deep into this article, but I thought something here at the beginning, kind of in their setup is that, um, you know, they, they talk about when they go audit websites and things like that, there's a lot of content going out. People are creating content, but they reference a marketing profs and a CMI study that, uh, the majority of surveyed businesses, now this isn't healthcare specific, but businesses, 63% of them do not have a documented content strategy. Huh. It kind of got me thinking, I don't know if I know of anybody that has a documented content strategy. Well, when you say documented content strategy, I think, again, people may make the mistake of saying, well, an editorial calendar is our content strategy. Or when we identify a piece of content for a marketing or communication campaign, uh, this is the approach that we'll get to turning that into a blog post or Mm -hmm. turning that into a a web copy or whatever. But that's not exactly what they mean by content strategy, is it? They talk about creating an editorial roadmap for the whole year. They talk about some keyword research, lots of different things, even seasonality. You mentioned uh, the health observance months and some things like that using Google Trends. So there's lots of great, you know, I I guess, tactical things you can take away from this article. But it, it is very much that it's creating a content like a publishing calendar, which is not the strategy what you're doing or why you're doing it, right? Right. The strategy really does rest in what you're doing, why you're doing it. It goes a little bit further than that. It's interesting when you say that most organizations don't have a documented content strategy. I think that's because it's really difficult to do. Because if you think about content, read, it could be virtually everything that you're doing, all your marketing, all your communications, your website, everything you're doing, that's all content. Every time you interact with with any one of your audiences, just starting to document a content strategy, that process could like go way out of hand. I I wouldn't even know where to start. We'll go to our trusty Wikipedia to define content strategy. Okay. Because again, I think when you say content strategy, and you said this earlier, most people think of that as a content calendar or do I have a plan for producing content (laughs) or or, or something, right? It's the publishing side of the equation. But if you look at the definition, content strategy, content strategy refers to the planning, development, and management of content written or in other media. The term also has been particularly common in web development since the late 90s. So, again, okay, okay, web development, let's not gloss over that. Uh, it's a recognized field in user experience design. Okay, hang on a second. Now we're, now we're getting outside of what I thought we were talking about. <laughs> and it also draws from adjacent disciplines such as information architecture, content management, business uh, analysis, digital marketing. Okay, well, that, now, now we're kind of coming back into what I thought we were talking about. And, and technical communication. So let's go back to this because I do think actually this is probably a pretty decent definition of, of content strategy, at least in my mind. Planning and development. Okay, we, we probably do that. But again, on the publishing side, let's plan. Let's go look what health observe. You know, okay, October, breast cancer awareness. November, I think, is lung. September is prostate. Uh, February is heart. You know, this is that thing. And it sounds to me like it's very much around 
the actual production of content. And there's, it was just the other day I was saying this to someone, just because we're moving doesn't mean we're going anywhere. Ooh, that's tweetable right there. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, you could be creating all this content, but is it the right type of content? Is your content strategy should help you with that. Talking about all those parts of planning, development, and management of content, that really means that there has to be sort of a lens of there's a purpose to this, right? And so when you you really get into content strategy, which we're going to do today, we really have to start talking about the purposefulness of what we're doing. Because you could create a bunch of content, but it may not resonate initially when you read that you think okay planning development and management of content okay i mean that that seems pretty straightforward i don't know that we quite unpack specifically what's in the management category there and i think we're going to talk a little bit about that and they even allude to it in the definition talking about user experience design information architecture content management analysis, digital marketing. So now all of a sudden it's like we're bringing in all these other disciplines and it's like, well, hang on a second. I thought we were just talking about what are we posting on Facebook in February? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And is that, is that not this? You know, <laughs> <laughs> That's because, Reed, if we really talk about content strategy, the, one of the first things you need is a front-end content strategist. This is where this went off the rails for me a little bit and kind of blew my mind. (laughs) Historically, I've only heard these terms as it relates to web development. You've got a front-end developer and a back-end developer. And I think that's kind of analogous to what we're going to talk about here. You know, we found an article. It's not a a credibly new article, but it's from um, a really cool, and, and this is a great organization, but the Content Marketing Institute, they put out a lot of great content. And so, you know, they outline some really interesting concepts in here that I don't think we think about as it relates to content strategy. And they talk about the different types of content strategists. Do we actually have people actively working in this space? And so you brought up the first one, which is the front end content strategist. Well, let's define that a little bit, what that means. I did I did bring it up to just blow people's minds. But really, uh, in this article, they define, right, the front-end content strategist as typically those people that have a love for the content and also the customer experience. And they make recommendations about the content itself. Oftentimes, when marketers say content strategist, they typically mean a person that's a front-end strategist. They're looking at the front-end, the customer experience, and that's really the foundation of where they start to think about how to build content. Does that make sense? This is, because I am a, a marketer, so this is kind of what I think of to some degree when you think of, of content. And so they talk about, you know, what marketers think of, meaning a front end strategy. So if you think about, again, back to the analogy of website development, the front end developer, well, what do those folks do? They make stuff look pretty, right? I mean, it's like the, it's the, it's the colors and the graphics and, you know, some of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, if you if you want to boil it down, it's also usability, UX, UI. You know, <laughs> but yeah, I get it. Whatever, you know, it's fine. Um, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, it, it, that's a whole talent in and of itself, but it, it's what the person physically sees and how they experience maybe your website. And so, if you think about that from a content perspective, that's kind of what we're talking about here. 
Exactly. Everything's from the customer experience and also from the business experience, but primarily from the customer experience. And that's that's really where it comes from. So some of the things that this person, the, this front-end strategist thinks about is probably what we typically think of when we think of someone who does content strategy and even content planning, right? They First of all, they think about who's the target audience. That's a very common question when you start to write content for a marketing plan or something. It's like, well, who am I writing for? What's my, is it a referring provider? Is it a patient? You know, is it a family member? Is it the government? Who is the audience for this? And why? Why why are we creating content for them in the first place? That's a really good question. <laughs> I ask that a lot. <laughs> why are we doing this again? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because somebody now, told me. Yeah. Exactly. What's the kind of information they need the most? Like what, what is the information that we can convey? What's the single most important thing we can say to them? How we can give them the content that aligns with what we're trying to communicate and also what we're trying to get the user to grasp. It's a lot of who and why and what, you know, it's kind of those reporter questions a little bit. Um, but I think some of the important ones they outline in here is how well do we meet those needs today? You know, how can we be better tomorrow? Laddering back up or hearkening back to those business objectives or business goals, calls to actions, things like that. I mean, how are we serving their needs? Yeah. And doing that like gap analysis of your content, which by the way, is really rewarding. If you start to think about that, there's been plenty of times where I sat down and looked at a section of a website and I'm like, wait a second, why aren't we achieving the needs that we're going, you know, that we're trying to achieve? Why is it so hard for people to find that information that we're looking for? And oftentimes it could be because we, we make it so difficult for people. So that's really the gap analysis that we're looking at. And really, the other big pressing question that a front-end content strategist thinks about is, you know, how can we as an organization better coordinate all of our efforts of all of our content creators to support these goals? Yeah, because you, you do. You have a lot of content creators out there. You know, whether or not you have recruited them or not, And I think that's where we kind of lose track sometimes. And that's why I think this is an interesting concept of having somebody that would oversee, manage, coordinate, develop, you know, however you want to frame that. But if you think about, we have all these content creators within the organization. Well, some of them are creating content for marketing purposes and some of them are not. You got a dietitian that is speaking at some of the local schools about healthy eating choices and, and things like that. Okay, well, she's creating content on behalf of the organization. Do you know when it's happening? Are you, are you capturing it? Are you making it? How, how are we meeting those needs today? Well, maybe that's how you're meeting it today, but it's not necessarily meeting in them tomorrow, right? It's kind of a one and done. Like she went and did this thing. Well, we, we should capitalize off that. Anyway, the point being, it's like there's other people creating content within the organization that you may not even realize, You know, and it even happens within like a marketing and communications department. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered, and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. 
If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. You know, that's kind of what a front-end content strategist does. So let me, do we have, does this exist? Do we have these people within our organizations? I mean, we kind of do, right? I mean, this is, (laughs) if we're creating content, at least to some extent, those folks are asking some of these questions at least. I don't think we call them front-end content strategists. If anything, a content strategist or a content planner probably thinks about some of these questions, yeah. I feel like maybe they're spending more of their time on the creation publishing side of the equation, or at least running the stuff down. Yeah, exactly. Running it down, tracking it, writing it sometimes, getting down to the the actual tactical piece of that. My heart goes out to people that are content strategists because they end up doing everything soup to nuts. And what they really need, Reed, is what the flip side of a front-end content strategist is. A back-end strategist. So again, back to the website development thing. We've got back-end folks. What, what do they do? They're the ones that put the technology in place, right? The architecture of like how the site is built and structured and that type of thing. And write the code and do all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, much in the same way, you know, back-end strategists, you know, they kind of outline this article as having a love for structure, scalability, technology, you know, they're the ones making the recommendations about how to use the technology, both the hardware and the software, uh, to actually handle all the content from the front end side. So handle it how? Where does it go? How is it stored? You know, how do we kind of ladder this up like we talked about to be efficient across the organization? Usually the website software is called the content management system. And it's really, I, I see a lot of people, typically not with the title content strategist, that look at how to use a content management system in a way that you can actually distribute content to multiple different places, right? It, it sounds to me a little bit like a back-end content strategist would be focusing on that, on looking at the distribution and federation of content across multiple channels. It's funny because I feel like this is getting awfully close to you know what some people are doing within the organization or at least in agencies that maybe organizations use or something like that. And we just don't talk about it that way. So, so anyway, some of the things that these folks deal with and kind of questions they ask themselves, if you will, how can we organize content so that our authors can easily, you know, I guess, store it, retrieve it. Maybe it's automated different sections, delivery to different channels, that kind of thing. And also structure of the content, right? Structuring the content so it's consistent, so it's in the same tone and voice, so it seems consistent, but also so that it's easily assembled and and distributed on demand to meet different demands. So uh, a good example of that is like we within a website to be able to also, if someone's going to um, to put in the hyper data in there or the metadata in there, so that if someone's going to tweet this page on your website, this is what the tweet web copy would look like. Or if you're going to share this on Facebook, this is the structure of the content that's going to be pulled into that channel. Man, that's a great example. I hadn't really thought about that. I was trying to kind of think through like, how does some of this play out, you know? And I think that's probably one of the more relevant ones. Or if you ever notice, like when you highlight some copy on a page on certain blogs or websites, it'll pop up with uh, the ability to then tweet what you just highlighted out. 
making sure that you aren't creating, recreating and recreating content over and over again for each channel. So again, kind of that dissemination uh, piece of it. That harkens back to our episode on create once, publish everywhere. Remember? Oh yeah. Cope. We talked about that over a year ago. Yeah. Being able to do it so that you're, you you can get that content federated everywhere and that all the different channels that are accessing your content can pull that content out readily. Like, so if you have marketing automation or if you have, you know, an email system that automatically pulls together content on your blog so that it's done in a very seamless way. So you don't have to spend time manually doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Another point in here is, you know, the the scale of the processes. So we can do more with less in, in essence. And so one thing that comes to mind for me is like, well, Think about if you if you record you you went and recorded a video. So that video, historically, you're going to put it in YouTube, maybe embed it on a website or something like that, or in a blog. But what if you ripped the audio out of that and that was a podcast and you had it transcribed and that was a blog post? And so I think that's kind of what it's talking about. It's like how you know, architecturally and from a resource perspective, how do we make more uh, without creating more on the resource side of the equation? Yeah. Do you think that these people also maybe spend time ensuring that there is workflow built into your content publishing systems so that so if you have like editing behind it, that, you know, the the technology itself will take over and, and let people put in the first draft and let you within the content management system itself edit and then publish it. You think that's kind of part of this person's domain? I mean, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. If anybody's looking for a back-end strategist, I'm kind of uh, intrigued by this uh, scenario. But, um, you know, how do you take advantage of just all the content? So the idea, I guess, that I just gave maybe is like, you know, how do you repurpose stuff and and, and make it where customers or, or in, our, in our case, patients, potential patients can find you know, some of the content in a fresh and new way. And-, and and how do you future-proof it, right? So we talk a lot about voice first and getting your content set up for letting, you know, Google's Assistant or Amazon's Echo to search your website. Well, a back-end content strategist could make sure that uh, your content structure is such that these devices can easily read your website. Makes a lot of sense. And so, yeah, so, I mean, that, those are two pretty big jobs, can the same person do both? Is that a possibility or is this surely a scale thing, depending on the size of the organization? I would say that trying to get the same person to do both, they probably could, but they probably wouldn't excel at one or the other. Mm. And if you start to look at an organization that's that's a little bit bigger, like a, you know, like a larger health system, I think it makes sense to start to think about like who is going to be looking at the front end content strategy part of this. And who's going to be focusing on the back-end content strategy? You're right. And I think maybe from a skill set perspective, it's just inherently is not the same person. Because if I'm just looking at these questions that they will be asking themselves, you know, the front-end content strategies, it's a lot of who, what, when, where. Uh, Whereas the back-end, it's all about how. They talk about structure, scalability, and it's just, I think that's just a different mindset than this idea of you know what's needed uh, for this group. And just thinking it through right now, Reed, uh, first of all, I don't know anybody that's a back-end content strategist by name, that's for sure. But you know, as I think about this, regardless of if you have an individual that's titled that in your organization, you definitely need to take account of all the different tasks that are needed 
by the front-end strategist and the back-end content strategist in order to make sure that you have a robust content strategy. Let's talk about some of those tasks. Well, we talked about, you know, who are we trying to reach, right? So that's some sort of definition or, or, or you know, creation around personas. Not that you don't want to ask that question every time, but you do want certain personas that then align with what your goals are. The other thing that you need to understand is those customer personas, what are their journeys? As they're going through your different content, whatever channel it may be, your omnichannel approach, what's the journey that they're taking? And why are they taking those journeys? And we've talked about that in previous episodes. To be able to analyze and map you know, what the needs are of the customer or the consumer, in our case, mostly patients, not always patients, I don't guess, uh, that use our services. It could be you know, other care providers, if you will. The, but the customer need to the business strategy. So kind of mapping that access point. I think that's important and often underlooked, right? You got to map the customer need to your business strategy. Don't misalign those two. And moreover, as you're doing that mapping to determine those topics to address when, including in content marketing offerings, to support the customer at multiple points in their customer journey. So really understanding if they're in the analysis phase, giving them the right content for them at that time, as opposed to when they're in the selection phase. I mean, really starting to map out all the different things that could help help them along their journey. Uh, Another one here, and now this is something that we spend a lot of time noodling over, talking about uh, probably at nauseum, but uh, it's choosing the best type of content or types of content, depending on what it is that you're doing. So text, video, or other type visuals, animations, things like that. Audio, obviously, uh, we're doing that now, but it's a, it's a resurgence um, of a type of content. And then making sure that content is findable. And that really boils down to search engine optimization, right? Very mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. So setting those guidelines to ensure that when people are looking for that content online, that they can find it. But it's not just search engines. It could also be through social media, making sure it's exposed to all the social channels, uh, using hashtag strategies, a variety of different things around that, too. Absolutely. And then something else that we we do this, uh, I guess, to varying degrees of success, but most folks have these, but is development of some sort of a style guide and guidelines around tone and voice and, you know, some of those types of things, you know, how, how to write even, even for different personas, potentially. You know, as I look over this list of all these tasks for just the front end content strategist, right now I'm mapping them to two or three different departments in my current organization. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. And some of it is by committee, the, like the best type of content to be used. Just those set tasks themselves pose a really interesting dilemma for most people around content development or content strategy within uh, a health system or with any organization, to be frank. Why don't we pivot over to some of the other tasks that maybe that back-end content strategist does? So the identification of how content varies uh, based on consumer, maybe patient needs and, and where each need arises in the customer journey. So they're kind of attaching pieces of content along some of these you know, customer journey maps. So the, the front end person looks at topics mapped to those segments of the customer journey. The back end content strategist 
looks at how content varies throughout that customer journey. Two distinctly different things. Very interesting. They could, this backend content strategist also identifies how content can be modularized or federated so it can automatically be reused, mixed and matched to meet a customer's needs. So I guess you could have components of your offerings that could be you know, a little plug and play depending on maybe the different service lines or maybe different parts of the organization where things may be offered to different personas. And that kind of goes into personalization a little bit too, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It really does. Uh, and we haven't really talked about like the technologies people would be working with in these fields. But anyway, also developing a format-free structured content models so that content can be written in a consistent way and automatically published to any channel. So mobile, web, print, radio, internet radio, things like that. And one thing that, that springs to mind when I think about this format-free structure approach The other day, I was having a conversation with someone about web banners, and I equated a web banner to what a billboard could be like in terms of the amount of content that should be on there uh, and, you know, how much of the balance between visual and and the text. And I said that really should be like a billboard in that same kind of structure. And they got it the minute I said something like that. And I guess what I was getting at by describing that was like, maybe it's almost like a format-free structure. This is interesting. This gets... um... Man, this gets really nuanced in some of this. It really does. Well, so the next one's defining the structure of the CMS repository of the website technology so that it supports authoring and content retrieval. Now we're down into what I would consider production in, in like more of a technical role. Now, it, it doesn't say build it, I guess. I guess it says define the structure. Now, this probably kind of gets back to some of the things that we we would have thought of, you know, develop metadata to tag all the content modules for dynamic content retrieval. So this goes back to kind of that, that taxonomy hierarchy within the organization, which I think would kind of fall to these folks. When we diagnose, let's say, a physician profile on one of our websites, we want to make sure all of these elements of the content are there because they're critical to making sure that when people are searching for those doctors, they're getting the right information. Um, and that's powered by the taxonomy. It's powered by search tools. And so in this regard, that really becomes an, a, a big, important part of this. Not only is it the metadata, but it's also developing those business rules to identify how content should be assembled automatically upon the customer request. So if you type in, I want to look for a cardiologist in this zip code, you're basically ensuring that that search pattern, which the customer wants to do, can provide a result. And then finally, defining you know structured writing guidelines. So on how to write for each type of a module, content module. Man, so a lot of a lot of structure and process related stuff. Although both, you know, both of these roles uh, involve, you know, at least to some level, addressing both the workflow and governance issues across the process. Workflow and governance kind of supersedes all of that. When you look at content strategy, it's not only making sure that all these tasks are aligned, but it's also making sure that you know how to execute across all of these all of these different tasks 
and that is properly reviewed, approved, and there's governance within it. If you look back through both the front end and back end roles, if you will, I, I think we have people that are focused individually uh, on different bullet points throughout here. Uh, I don't know. Again, I think this goes back to the bigger question of the complexity of the organization, how many people are on your staff, how you structure, what are you focused on, and really how are you defining these things? Because if you're looking at content strategy being the same thing as content calendar, and you know, are we going to make our profile image pink in October and, and stuff like that? I'm not trying to demean that. I mean, that's fine. I, there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe it's a great idea, depending on you know, what you're doing organizationally. If you have a huge women's pavilion or something, you do a big push in October, that's great. Maybe you should do those things. But, you know, this idea that that content and content strategy is more than just the actual content. You know, the actual strategy itself is more than just what content are we pushing out when. You might say that with a really good content strategy, Content is probably the most minimum of your worries. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast. I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, you know, they've got a consumer experience platform that, that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would, I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else, they've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But, but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert portion of the podcast. And uh, fortunate and um, excited to have Joe Strattinger. Joe and I actually go back several years. And for those that are not familiar with you or your yep. company, Edge Theory, maybe yep. just give a little sound sure. bite of, of what that is and what that looks sure, like. Sure, sure, sure. Um, well, my name is Joe Strattinger. I'm just I'm a recovering CPA, uh, somehow turned marketer. Um, uh, I've done a lot of interesting things, but my, my passion is, is how to use this art form of conversation uh, for companies to go find people not yet looking for them. So our company, Edge Theory, uh, is a technology company, um, but we focus on, uh, with large organizations from the independent uh, you know, gig economy rep all the way to the Mayo Clinics of the world, where we help people go get a greater share of the conversations that are happening out there to intersect with people who aren't looking for them. So we're a little bit way up top, you know. Yep. We believe that 99% of the battle is just getting found. So we're not really right. in that pitch where we're the, we help you with yep. your pitch. We help you get people to the pitch. And so you're talking about getting found. And yeah. so I think, you know, most people that are listening to this, hospital marketing folks, communication sure. professionals, <clears throat> when we talk about getting found, yeah. um, the advertising side of that equation, maybe not easy, but at least easy to understand, right? I'm going to yep. spend money 
to attract people. So yeah, PPC yeah. or AdWord type campaigns, right. people are already looking for, already you. looking for you. You're just inserting your message in front of these people that are already looking and that's for a very good strategy that they sell, yeah. right? Yeah. So this is on the other side of the coin, Absolutely. which is uh, there are people out there that need what you have. They don't maybe realize it, don't know that you exist, whatever it is. Sure. And so when you talk about attracting are finding that pre-customer. Yeah, you know, they yeah. don't know they should be your customer. Yeah, pre-patient, pre-customer. Yeah, so what, what conceptually does sure. that look like? We all, including myself, we humble ourselves. There's more people not looking for you than looking for you, right? And, and, and one, a very interesting person once told me, a very great, wonderful man told me, you know, there's, there's a, we're all selling something, right? We're selling hospital services, we're selling a widget, we're selling our faith, we're selling something. The way you sell is to influence someone to make a decision they otherwise would not have made. That's how you, right? Sure. And so, so conversation is that great art form. So when we think about getting to people who that pre-customer, that pre-patient, it's about, you know, how do I, how do we look at the art of conversation? And so it starts with what we call a conversation map. The only way you're going to navigate towards that pre-customer is to literally map out how to get to that person because that person is not looking for you. No matter how big your brand is, most people aren't looking for you. And so how do you navigate those waters, right? In a river, I used to grow up in the Mississippi River, yep. you know, there's people that map waterways because they constantly change. So conversations are constantly changing. So how do you map out your conversation map if you're a hospital A or a, a, a small clinic? How do I go find that pre-customer? You first got to say, well, where, what is the geography of this customer? Is one aspect of that map? What is the lifestyle? You, you, you create content differently if you're talking to someone in Mississippi as opposed to Florida. You talk differently to someone who's a millennial as opposed to a baby boomer. We believe if you could just take out a you know, piece of paper and draw out your map, Right, that's the map of how you're going to create the content to go intersect with that person who's not looking for you. You know, how is this different than just a traditional SEO strategy, sure. right? You know, you're targeting keywords, you're yep. putting metadata on your website yep, and things like that. So what, how is this different? Because I think most people are going, okay, well, I do SEO, I do SEM. Where does this fit? Some people would say we're sort of the new kind of SEO. Um, I, I say that because, you know, for us, it's a conversation map. That map determines what are the conversational keywords, not search words, but conversational keywords that are going to drive conversation. Um, and what um, we see a lot with our clients is that they can take this back and see how it has improved their SEM, SEO, because they can look at the number of search terms that were used to get them on the page one of Google has gone from 10 to 500. And that's because they're using the right words in social, which of course, you know, sure. get indexed and so forth. So, so I think it has a little bit to do with that. I mean, you know, I, I don't think we're in that exact same space, but um, I think it's something, it's not, a, it's not a replacement of SEO. I think it's a need in addition to SEO. What impact have you guys seen, especially from like voice search and things like that? How does yeah. that influence what we're calling a conversation, you know, versus what we've traditionally thought? Yeah, so like Siri, I mean, you know, right. those kinds of things. I mean, we, you know, when we look at information out there and we put content out there, based on your map and we create content or you create content from the map that gets you know can get indexed by you know siri it can get indexed sure. by all types so, so we see all the time that you know that the voice search is, is is critical i mean i mean that's that's no different than google right. indexing a, a twitter page or whatever and when we're talking about and maybe we should have led with this but when we're talking about conversations yeah. what yeah. what tactically does that look like sure you know so some people say content you know, you're talking about yep. conversation. Is that the same thing? Is that well, so, so, you know, we had this, I can't remember this morning, um, you know, there's a great person from Mayo Clinic was talking about how conversations are the content. 
Yeah. And content is the gold. You know, what we like to say is that we've built our entire platform and technology edge theory around the art of conversation, which is no different than we all do when we go to a cocktail party or go to a church. We got to get to the right party. We have to listen. We have to figure out what to say. We have to deploy it. And we have to figure out, did that work? And so that whole art of conversation is how we look at the whole process. But I think a lot of times, you know, it's, it's, it's thinking about, you know, conversation is an asset. We all know that. It's just changed different mediums, and we're just in a different medium here. But the fuel for conversation is content, right? right. But then right. the conversation creates content. So um, that's the way I like to look at it. So how, how does this lead them down a path to becoming a patient or buying your running shoes sure, or whatever, sure, sure. whatever it is that you're... Yeah, so, so, so you know, I'll just give you a couple examples. Take a dating site, right? You know, take Match.com, a great mm-hmm. big dating site. They want to go out there and own the when to date again conversation. Because okay. if they get a greater share of the when to date again conversation, there's more people in the world saying when do I date again as opposed to I'm going to go look for Match.com, right? Right. Same thing, our little school. You know, that you and I went to Mississippi College. Yep. There's a lot more people out there in the world looking for the, the equestrian lifestyle. And because that's on their conversation map, because this college has an incredible equestrian program, if we go own a little greater share of the equestrian program, we will intersect with young sophomores in high school who are never going to look for Mississippi College, right? right? But they will if they see this, in, this, this interesting article about how to ride a horse after college class every day. If you're a diabetic diabetes center, or we have a clients, we have vein clinics. Well, if you're in, the, if you're helping with people in, that have venous disease, you go enter the conversations that are being had at Nissan Motor Company, where people have stood up for 40 years, right? And you go right. enter these conversations that people are talking about who don't are not even thinking about the vein clinic. Yeah, it's not even on the radar. Right. And right. so that's what we mean by intersections, so, using the art of conversation. So do you start with a persona? So do you start with the client and say, hey? Who are we trying to reach? Like, yep. who's the ideal candidate? Oh, they look exactly between this age, and they usually look like this, and they have this kind of history or upbringing yep, or background or whatever, right? Th- then what's next? You, you listen. Yep. There's some sort of monitoring, listening. Yep. You know, listen. that, that, that's yep. where you kind of figure out where these conversations are The conversation are map is, is both something, the conversational words that are on the map, we listen like crazy. We have really interesting listening technology. So that same conversation map is the basis for what we listen to, it's also the basis for what content we create. Right? You can't talk without listening first. And so everything's focused on those conversational words. So say that your words are when to date again or equestrian, we gotta go listen to everything around that because that right. surfaces new conversations. So listening is definitely a big part of that, but everything's so paramount to that map. It's what is that profile of that pre-customer? Do you sell in Mississippi? Do you sell in Colorado? Do you sell in America? Yeah, so it's sort of geography in, component spell, to it. Yeah, yeah. And, and conversation maps also, we do a lot in different languages. Well, if you're going to sell, if I'm the Marriott Corporation selling to uh, a Chinese businessman or woman, I need to be on WeChat or Sinawebo and speaking in Mandarin. But if I'm if I'm selling, if I'm in China, it's bi-directional, and I'm selling to J. Crew to come build, you know, clothes in my factory, I need right. to be on Twitter in English. So, so it's very much, you know, language is a big part of conversation maps. Gotcha. Huge. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think what's interesting, too, and people maybe don't think about it this way, whether they're in healthcare and they're thinking Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, Hopkins, you know, these big big leaders everybody thinks of, MD Anderson, et cetera, or Match.com or Nike or you know, who, pick, pick the leader in the space, yeah. right? That They still need to introduce themselves. They still need to figure out these intersection points like you mentioned. And so when you think about that in healthcare, I think we get caught up in like what we want to tell you. 
how great Vers- they are. Versus, uh, you know, we won this award or there's this big building or whatever versus, uh, you know what, what are people actually looking for? And a lot of it is just not that exciting. And I think we've got to get past that. So, yeah. like, a there's good, a place for that. But, yeah. I, but I think it's a mixture, as you know, I talked about. And, and I think the way you do that is once we define this map and once we build the persona, the persona could be your corporate, your, your corporate brand handle. We believe, you know, you got to go way beyond that because, as we all know, that corporate brand voice is being penalized. It's being silenced. It's, you got to pay to play. Right. And so the only way we believe you can fully execute your map is to build, is to get lots of personas talking for you. And that yeah. means if it goes past your corporate handle, you need your advocates talking for you, right? Yep. But you need them not talking about how great you are and your accolades as much as you need them helping you intersect into these conversations. And I think you got to build a media company. Yeah, and that's an interesting that's an interesting way to look at that, right? Because one that comes to mind to me is uh, we see a lot of hospitals sponsor some sort of local event, the 5K, okay. the marathon, okay. the yep. the triathlon, sure. the whatever, some activity based event that Lovely. works well with their mission. We're gonna sponsor. It's gonna be the whatever hospital 5K and fun run and all that stuff, right? Well, if you think about it, there's a lot of people that are signing up and gonna do that. They may or may not care anything about your hospital, but if you were to have, and, and you know, tell me if I'm off base here, but if you go to your athletic trainers or your PT, OT yep. staff and say, hey, we need to create some content about how to buy running shoes yes. or how to train for a 5K, well, that doesn't directly bring any business to the hospital, right? But you're figuring out what that intersection. You're point growing your is. authority, and you're growing your authority. Right? Yeah. Because those people, if they work for the hospital, or they or they, you know, that's the thing that I think people don't quite understand. These big search engines and big data and, and voice, you know, search, they 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 spider and crawl. And so the more we can get lots of people for your hospital, low hanging fruit is your employees and your staff. You know, then we go to donors and alumni and patients and so forth. But the more we get those people to talk, even if they're not directly bringing people back to your website, there's a linkage probably back to your website, and that just grows your authority. And I always say, you know, back to the running analogy, I'm a runner. You know, this is a marathon, and this is not a sprint. And I think a lot of times, unfortunately, social social media, young people that are put in those positions uh, have a uh, are, are, are from the people that manage them have a distorted worldview about this stuff and, and they're driving them to work off metrics that just this is not a sprint you know and, and if you right. run a marathon the rewards are much greater than the rewards of a sprint building conversation share and growing your conversation and beginning to own the conversation mm-hmm. you know that's a marathon what is the ROI you know you're still in business right I mean, I mean it's, right. Yeah. I'm a, and I'm a CPA so I mean I understand ROI yeah 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 <laughs> well in ROI I think it's funny because in, and Chris and I talk about this on the podcast uh, all, all the time but when people say ROI, I always have to say, specifically, what are you talking about? Because ROI, as, as a recovering CPA, yeah. is, is, by definition, only a financial metric, yeah. right? It's how much money we make over how much money we, or, yeah. or how much money do we save, you know, minus cost over cost. There's only one way to figure ROI. But when people say ROI, there are a lot of times meaning was it worth the effort? Well, that's a whole different. That's a whole different question. Yeah, know? absolutely. And so, and I, I would say, to the point is that one, one of the way that we look at a return on your investment is, end of the day, we all believe that that, that conversation is powerful. It's word of mouth, right? And so, really, ultimately, we see one of the best 
metrics to measure is your conversation share. And that can be measured certain in certain platforms like Twitter. You know, the numerator is how many times you've used that conversational keyword. The denominator is how many times it's been mentioned in all of Twitter, easy to get. The division is conversation share. So if if you have mm. a big a big chunk of the of the uh, when to date again conversation or those words, you know, that's that, that's how you show progress. So, you know, yep. of course if it's a word no one owns, that's spam if you own it, right? <laughs> but, but but you know but, 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 but I think but I think if you look at those kind of back to that map, you can measure conversation share. I believe that's the new is new KPI or whatever yeah, that you're yeah, looking yeah. at I for mean, social. To, to me, yeah, do you own the conversation? Well, and, and I think you talk about sprint versus marathon. I think there is room for a sprint, and I think that's on the paid side, yeah. right? So that's, yeah, that's the SEM. Yeah. That, that's the sprint. Okay? And that's very powerful. We, we need to drive people. We need to drive attendance to this seminar or whatever it is. Pay money, get them there. It's a campaign, funnel. right? It's a funnel-based campaign. Yeah. The stuff on social and the social side of the equation, which is a lot of what we're talking about here in the content creation side, is really top of the funnel awareness, you know, and trying to put yourself in this conversation. So you've talked about this conversation map. What is that? Because I think that's the good takeaway here. You know, for folks thinking, okay, well, I haven't really thought about content in this way. I haven't really thought about participating online in this way. Is that a fair way to get yeah. started? And if so, kind of what, what what's the back of the napkin or what, what can somebody yeah. go do today? Well, you know, we obviously do it through technology, but I think a simple thing I always encourage people to do is take out a piece of paper and say, I'm going to build my conversation map. Put in the middle of your pre-customer and then mm-hmm. think about what is their lifestyle. Okay, that's one node. What is their geography? You know, if it's if you live in different parts, it could be language. But off lifestyle, you'll have, okay, I want to go after millennials. I want to go after the next generation. I want to go after Zs. Or I want to go after baby boomers, right? There's a different conversation mm-hmm. on lifestyle and then geography. So that's that's what I would do is simply say, okay, what, and don't get make it complicated. But And I think people intuitively do this some, to some extent. So let's just say that your map has... Uh, uh, baby boomers and your map is in your diabetes clinic I'm just making it right so right. so so part of your lifestyle and, and, and an element is high blood pressure so those are things that you need to talk about how to reduce high blood pressure I mean sure what are those lifestyle elements that will drive you know the content you go do and did you, and, and just think about did you know did you know did you know that content sells so you know think about here's my pre-customer here's who I'm going after geographically lifestyle and there's many more, but then say, okay, what, what is good confirmation content I can share to help them not to talk about myself? The no strings attached stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and as we know, no one knows Google's black box, but I can guarantee you, based on my knowledge of tracking this stuff, that you know, if you're not 80% sharing over asking, you know, you're not going to have any authority anyway. Right. Right. So that's that's where there's your website, your blog, you know, give, you know, help people. And that's, I mean, it's, it's foundational, but it's amazing to me, you know, read how many people still spend 99% of their time talking about how great they are and so forth. Whereas that's really, really 1% of the game. We got to get people to you. Right. 99% of that battle, as you know, we're talking about is just getting found. So are you spending 99% of your money on getting found? It's a different way of thinking. It's a different conversation that we have to start having. I think that's a great takeaway. I think that's something people can go and do and really understand, well, okay, well, how well does this match up to what we actually are doing? Are we doing these things? But we'll give them kind of a launching point for where to go content-wise and some of those kind of things. So uh, people want to know more, want to follow up with you, track you down online. What's the best way to do that? Yeah, yeah. Joe Stratinger on LinkedIn. Uh, On Twitter, it's Joe Options, uh, J-O-E-O-P-T-I-O-N-S company's edgetheory.com and you know again we, we we're happy to talk to people we we have everything from the the 
independent business person, right, single gig economy person up to Mayo Clinic. We work with, you know, at the end of the day, we want to help people get content. Awesome. And, and that's, that's what we do. Cool. Well, man, thanks for taking cool. a few minutes. Yeah. And I uh, look forward to having you back on in the future. Good. Thanks so much. All right, that was a great interview with Joe Stradinger. I think that may be the last of the Mayo Clinic Jacksonville conference interviews that we did. I can't remember. We had so many good ones come out of there with a few different really cool folks. And we've had a couple of them in a row now with, with Ferris and now Joe. But anyway, really cool stuff from Joe and just the idea. I thought it felt um, like it fit really nicely with what, what you and I were talking about around content strategy, him talking about you know, kind of conversation mapping and, and some of those types of things and how to, how to you know, be a part of a conversation where people aren't necessarily <laughs> looking for you. So some interesting concepts. So you might say that um, these Mayo Clinic conferences are a critical part of our content strategy. There you go. They're definitely worth going to. Uh, apparently there's some really smart people there. <laughs> Exactly. Well, and speaking of conferences, I understand that you're going to be doing some conferences pretty soon, right? Yeah, we're, you know, we're about to get in the swing of things. Uh, I've got the Texas Hospital Association annual conference coming up towards uh, about the third week in February, I guess it is. So about a month from now. Um, And it's here in Austin. So it's always in Austin if it's a legislative year. So in Texas, it's every odd year, every other year. Won't have to really travel per se, uh, but it'll be great, and, and we'll get uh, a lot of update, both state and federal, uh, from an advocacy perspective. And then um, look forward to having some really interesting conversations and some interviews with some uh, innovation folks. And, and then you have another Austin thing going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, South by Southwest. That's another one in first quarter that, um, of course, is here every year, which is kind of handy for me. And mm-hmm. so I'll be there. Dr. V, our host of the exam room, he's there every year. Uh, Greg Matthews, that hosts Data Point, he'll be there. A lot of cool folks. We'll have a lot of great content interviews coming from there. Uh, but South by Southwest, which is uh, about the second week of March, so just a couple of weeks after the THA conference. And not to look too far ahead, I'm going to be at speaking at the Forum for Healthcare Strategists. I think, well, the Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategy Summit, we're both going to be there. But uh, I'm doing a session on uh, what is a digital strategist. But that's in May. Be sure to check that one out, too. Try to make your way to any of these conferences. I mean, uh, you know, Reed and I really love to run into you, and maybe we'll get to good interview you and get you as a good critical part of our content strategy for this year. That's right. Awesome. Well, before we wrap this episode up, uh, let's do a recommendation or two. What uh, What do you have this week? Reed, I'm going to recommend something that I have found um, over the last couple of years to be really, really an awesome um, part of what I like every day. I haven't shared this with many people on the podcast, so this is a part revelation here. I'm not tolerant of milk. Let's just put it that way. I'm, I'm lactose intolerant. Over the last couple of years, I have really come to enjoy something I'm going to recommend today, which is almond milk. I love almond milk. Almond milk in my lattes, almond milk in my cereal, uh, almond yogurt is a really great place. So anything made with almonds. I just love how almond has become sort of this all-purpose nut, I suppose, to to create something really delicious. Um, Not only is almond milk nutritious, it's low in calories. I'm a diabetic. It doesn't really impact my blood sugar that 
that much. And most importantly, it's lactose free. So I definitely recommend it for everybody that's listening in. Give it a shot. Put it in your latte next time. There you go. Uh, I've got something that is kind of um, kind of interesting. So we around the house, we've kind of gotten into puzzles here as of late. And predominantly my, da- my oldest daughter and I, that those who have listened to the podcast have heard her voice a time or two. She now can solve a traditional three by three Rubik's Cube in about a minute and a half just on repeat. And so she's kind of done that and a two by two and all that kind of stuff. Well, anyway, just something fun that I got uh, that we kind of just uh, have them around the house and even in the car. Uh, I bought a set and, and I don't know if I'm even saying this right. I got them off Amazon and the name is incredibly long, but Lee's high L E Z H I. So it's Lee's high IQ toys test mind game brain teaser wire magic trick toy IQ puzzle set feel like somebody on their content strategy team didn't do a great job naming these things. But anyway, it's a, a pack of 16 different metal wire puzzles. So you've seen like the two nails that are like bent, you know, around each other. And you got to figure out how to get them apart. Well, it's like 16 of those, like different types of those. They're just little puzzles. And uh, we keep a few of them in the car and around the house and stuff. And uh, everybody kind of has fun, you know, picking them up and trying to figure out. Oddly, my son like just solves them almost immediately. Every time he picks them up, he's like, "Oh, look, they, they just they just fell apart." Like he didn't even know what he did, you know. So they just like <laughs> come apart, and uh, it drives everybody crazy because they're like, "How how'd you do that?" And he's like, "I don't know. I don't know. They just they just, they just came apart." And he's like, "Okay." Anyway, they're just they're just kind of fun, and and they're they're small. They're not real big. You can get obviously bigger versions of these. Uh, but they come, it's a set of 16, comes in a little drawstring bag. And um, anyway, it's kind of fun. Awesome. And really easy to get right there off of Amazon, Amazon Prime, in fact. Yeah, yeah, like $7 for 16 of these things. So so I highly recommend that. Just something that you have to look at technology. <laughs> Perfect. We all need more of that. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you for listening. Touchpoint.health is the website. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. That is the number one way other folks will find us, and we would certainly appreciate the support. So for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.